Life Audio. Hey, welcome to Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard with Gospel at Ministries. Thanks for listening. There is nothing out there like the Gospel Rant that I'm aware of. If you have benefited from this show or series, please follow us and let one other person know about Gospel Rant. Thanks ahead of time. This is the fourth show in this core uh, heart cut God's Love for the Unlovable series. In the first God's Love for the Unlovable show, Your Brain in Love, I spoke about how God created our brains to love and to be loved. And then we looked at how the ancient Roman view of love has unfortunately negatively affected how we see love, even the love of God, to our detriment. So many lonely and unlovable Christians are going to church longing to be loved, to feel lovable, and leave virtually untouched. It's tragic, and we cannot keep up this pace. The world is getting wildly more lonely and more anxious. So in this show, we're going to look at an actual case study of what Jesus' love for the unlovable actually meant to one woman, a very unlikely, unlovable, and unloved woman. This is the very same thing that Jesus' love does today for all of us who are feeling unloved, unlovable, and unlovely, right? And that is all of us if we were only just a little bit honest. So buckle up. If you've benefited from this series, give me a shout out. Bill at gospel-app.com. Pass the link on to others. We can begin to make a difference. More resources are available on my website, many for free, gospel-app.com. I'm Dr. Bill Senyard, and this is God's love for the unlovable. This is a good place to take a break for a word from our sponsor. We will be right back. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on The Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. So Jesus had left Judea, the province in the south where Jerusalem was, was headed up 
to the more gentle and friendly region of Galilee. Uh, while he had some friends in Judea, it was a dangerous place for him. So going back home would have been a respite. As usual, he just went where his father wanted him to go. He could have walked around the region in between Samaria, but he didn't because we have to understand that he was on a mission. God, the father, no doubt had one unlikely, unworthy, unlovable person in his mind, in his sights. That's what God does. That's what he did for me, too. It was midday. And Jesus was thirsty. The disciples left to go to a nearby village, Sychar, to get food and provisions. Jesus came upon a well, and there was a woman already there. So the stage was set for something very, very special. Action, roll them. And she and Jesus almost immediately go at it. Here's John. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. So where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did all his sons and flocks and herds? So Jesus answered, hey, everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go and call your husband. Come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Oh, my goodness, what a statement. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah, called Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then, the disciples awkwardly, that's my addition, they returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town, made their way towards him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days and because of his words, many more became believers. John 4, 5 to 29. Oh, my goodness. Look, early in Jesus' ministry uh, to the Samaritan woman, 
Here's the question. Who was this woman? And what difference does she make to us today, women today, men today? Well, she appears by all accounts to be very smart, precocious even, inquisitive, well-spoken, bold, and hardly bound by many social norms. She seems to get right up into Jesus's grill. I mean, I don't see the disciples doing that, right? I mean, this woman is special, but she wasn't a Jew. In my opinion, you would be hard-pressed to describe a woman more unlovable than this one to Jews and to Romans and maybe even to the Samaritans, her own people. Maybe she was physically attractive, we're not told, with all of the relational issues and traumas she had to deal with. I'm sure that her face and body showed signs of trauma and stress and aging. Just my guess, though. She was at the well in the heat of the day, apparently alone. That seems to imply that she was an Audi among the women, isolated probably. We can't be sure. So what's her story? How did she come to that lonely place? She certainly had major issues, definitely not a poster child for Jesus's new movement. That is, if you want to attract people to your church, right? Uh, you wouldn't want to attract Jews by attracting a Samaritan woman, right? Or is she perfect? If you want to communicate that God loves the worthy, the righteous, the good, the pure, the lovable, uh, to most women, look, she's probably not your girl. But this is Jesus. So first, she was a Samaritan. They are second cousins to the Jews. I mean, if you had bought one of those DNA tests on the Internet, Ancestry.com, 23andMe, her report would have shown that she was related to Abraham. A little or a lot, but she was like Jesus, a child of Abraham. And the Middle East was in some ways kind of like an old southern small town. I can say this because I'm from there. Everyone is just a little bit related, if you know what I mean. At this point in history, to be a pure-blooded Jew, you actually had to show legit proof that your descendants came back from the exile 500 years before. So in Israel, there were clear innies and outies. The blue-blood sons of the exile Jews really looked down upon those who weren't, and that would definitely include the Samaritans. She had been married a lot of times, it seems. Divorces were easy to come by for husbands, though the rabbis disagreed in general. If a man chooses to divorce his wife for anything but adultery, uh, he has to give back the wedding dowry in full, right? So there's a cash penalty. But if the woman is actually caught in an affair, he can divorce her cleanly, keep the cash. So... By the way, uh, this is, I think, largely misunderstood today. Women in the first century Palestine can divorce their husbands, too. It's a little more complicated, not as straightforward. What she would have to do is go to the courts and prove his unfaithfulness or abuse, and then plead with the court. And if the court bought it, they would, quote-unquote, encourage the man to accept the divorce. And you get the idea. It sounds kind of Godfather-esque, right? Uh, but they had strings they could pull, and it was possible. So this woman had all of those marriages or relationships, uh, but maybe, uh, just a thought, maybe being married back then, similar to today, treated as loosely as often as it is today. Maybe you could just move in together and people would call you small and married if that's the case, there would have been zero legal protection for the woman, no dowry, no leverage. Uh, or you could become a second wife in some cultures. It's all over the Old Testament. So which of those 
ideas help us understand who the woman was. Well, let me give you a, a spectrum of the interpretation so you can see the dialogue. On the one side, many imagine her as a loose, immoral woman, a predator. I mean, by her own testimony, she's burned through five husbands and is now with a man who is not her husband. Maybe each one divorced her for sleeping with another man. I mean, if so, this might answer why she was at the well in the heat of the day. She didn't want to run into any of those women whose families she might have destroyed. Now, on the other side of the spectrum are those who come to a different conclusion and come to the woman's defense. It's true. There were a lot of deaths back then from natural causes, um, diseases, also wars, oppression, and that might explain why the woman had multiple husbands. Maybe she was a tragic case and had been wrongly divorced a couple of times. It happened. Maybe the current dude is just not going to officially marry her to protect his child's inheritance. That happened. So in a sense, maybe she wasn't as married as she, as she could have been under the law. Well, according to this side of the spectrum, those scholars... John doesn't criticize the lady at all. And by the way, Jesus doesn't either. So why would she be there at noon? Well, lots of reasons, right? Maybe she had other chores. Maybe she slept in, had a day job. Maybe she was sick. Maybe she was taking care of her kids. I don't know. So we have to be very careful. Uh, the opinions dramatically differ on the one to five spectrum Five being that she's a conniving, sex-driven, gold-digging vampire cougar who devours unsuspecting men and their wealth. Uh, if that describes her, I'm telling you, Jesus was being wildly bold here and had, had a risk. He could definitely taint his reputation, not to mention put himself in danger. And her chat about God versus Jesus as God, totally disingenuous. She would have been welcomed in either temple. Uh, the coming of the Messiah also would not be good news for her, right? She would have been a clear, unrighteous sinner. But if she was a, a one on the scale, she was a tragic, needy character of her age who had suffered so much. Relationally, she was traumatized. She, she had suffered huge relational losses and, frankly, might be done with relationships for good. And if that's true... Jesus, once again, is being very bold. She's a, in a very vulnerable emotional place with lots of relational scars and issues, no doubt with men, but God too, right? Jewish or Samaritan, because both of them agreed that, you know, God is sovereign and he either caused or allowed those losses. That's what her brain would have been telling her too. Maybe she felt ultimately that God had abandoned her. So if she was a victim, then on this side of the scale, then the conversation of who is worshipped where, that's also disingenuous. The least of her day-to-day -day problems, right? She would have felt unwelcomed in either temple. Well, and here's why, to simply put, in her mind, she'd been cursed by God. How else do you explain it? Anyway, you see it, Jesus is making a very gutsy move. Uh, just interacting with her seeing her and her seeing him. But I'm going to say she is perfect for what Jesus is trying to accomplish in his mission to show what his love is all about. 
It's not for the perfect. It's not for the beautiful. It's not for the righteous, for the attractive. No, it's for the unlovable, the unloved, the unlovely. This woman is in that category a little or a lot, to be sure, no matter which side of the spectrum. Well, it's a good place to take a break for a word from our sponsors. I will be right back, and we're going to look how this measures up to our gospel presentations today. We'll see you in a minute. I have to say, I'm saying this very tongue-in-cheek. On the surface, this is one of the worst gospel presentations I've ever seen. Look, I've been trained, I've trained lots of times. You're prepared with a spiel, maybe even a diagram or four questions. You know where you want the conversation to go. You learn how to deal with objections and deflections. You bring it back to the logical step one, step two, conclusion. You bring it home, call for a commitment. Do you want heaven or hell, life or death, right? I'm thinking Jesus needs one of those courses. You know what I'm saying? I'm just joking. But instead of the normal approach, the one we use today, Jesus starts off with a bizarre metaphor. I'm telling you, it's so easy to misunderstand. And maybe it was an icebreaker that got out of control, right? Hey, I'm thirsty. All right, good, good, good. Now let me bridge to my gospel presentation. I'm here to tell you about living water, cool, cool. But the lady runs with it. And they get into the spitting contest about water and thirst. I'm telling you, rookie move, Jesus. You should, you should have known better. <laughs> We're then taught today, second critical aspect of a gospel presentation is that you have to control the dialogue. And Jesus didn't. He kind of gave up control. We Samaritans, you Jews, this mountain, that mountain, spirit and truth. You know more water? It's a disaster. By modern standards, Jesus seems to encourage this woman. And it all seems so philosophical. I mean, we still preach about it and try to unpack what he's saying. Her safe zone would have been in that realm, up in the cognitive and the heady. She didn't want to get down into the heart, right? And it appears that he's lost control. But then Jesus, he pulls out two aces in the hole first. So go and get your husband. Bring him here. Pretty enigmatic at first blush. Culturally, it's a good move. You don't want to be seen with a woman, someone else's wife, talking water, right? You could get in real trouble. Not cool. But Jesus was up to something far more intriguing. She had a complicated history with relationships. So let's take the elevator down a level, chat about the real stuff. All right, forget water and temples. We're going to get down to the heart. What's going on, woman, really? Well... I think there's no hint of criticism here by Jesus. He doesn't call her a sinner. He doesn't call her to repent. He doesn't say, go and sin no more. Nothing. Interesting, right? Second ace in the hole. I am the Messiah. Boom. But he doesn't say, worship me or follow me. Nothing of the sort. Jesus doesn't ever seem to offer a judgmental comment to this poor woman. It's not that Jesus is against those things. He will say them in other evangelical conversations with other real people. But here he doesn't say, rise and walk with your water. Your sins are forgiven, right? I think he's reading the room. I think he's being sensitive, being aware. And in particular, with this woman's inner trauma, her pain, her sadness, her loneliness, or her guilt and shame. He sees it in her eyes. I think she felt unlovable. I think she felt unloved. I think she felt unlovely, whether it was her 
cause or somebody else's, that's where she was, than Jesus. So at this point, the disciples return. They break up the argument. Maybe Jesus was just about ready to pop the question, so you need to choose, will you follow? But the conversation is shut down when the gang returns, and it gets awkward. Disaster? Or was it? No. Surprisingly, the woman goes to the city and says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Well, can I say Jesus didn't do that? I mean, it's wildly an overstatement, right? But this is how she's trying to put it into words. He spoke about the men she has had, but that's a pretty narrow historical view. So hold that thought. I believe that if she was willing to finish that statement, it might be, Jesus told me everything I ever did, and yet he still treated me with honor and looked at me with dignity. I felt that from Jesus. It would not surprise me. You? Second, this was no one's understanding of what the Christ would be about, the Messiah. Generally, everybody thought that he would be a moral, perfectionistic, righteous giant, the one who really hates sin and sinners, not a carny mind reader. For the Messiah, this was a bit of a parlor trick, right? And also track me. If she was a serial relational perpetrator who destroyed families, it would not be a good thing to have a conversation with the Messiah, particularly one who seems to know everything she did. This Jedi mind trick of Jesus would not be considered so wonderful to a guilty person who is trying to cover up her failures. She would have preferred that to remain hidden. You know, her brain would have said, run. Her beat-up, swollen mid-brain's amygdala would yell, flight. Now, on the other hand, if she had been objectified, mistreated, victimized by serial misogyny and abusive men and unjust political systems that offered her paltry protection, or by God's seeming indifference, her brain, why would she ever trust God to be good to her ever? Why would she want her fears of being a failure exposed either? Either way, why would Jesus knowing everything that she has done be a good thing for her? She most likely would be into a cover-up, denial, blaming others, playing the victim, self-medicating, self-pity, because those are the same things we do. I can resonate with that. I'm sure you can too. Shame hides. So why is it a good thing that here is a man, by the way, of all people, ironically, who made her look beneath the self-protective identity mask? And then... Why would she go to the very people that had treated her so poorly or she treated so poorly? Either they overlooked her, used her, shamed her, or, you know, she did it to them. They were probably participating in some corporate denial and cover up as well. Why would they go out and have this guy do the same trick for them? But they did, and he did. They, Samaritans, non-Jews, then confessed Jesus was the Savior of the world, of the Jews too, by the way. That's huge. The breach between these two people groups had been briefly healed or bridged anyway. Why? Because he told them everything about themselves. What's that all about? (sighs) I love the 2017 Broadway hit show, Dear Evan Hansen. It's a Tony Award winning hit Broadway play, Dear Evan Hansen's. Evan's a high school senior who struggles with severe social anxiety, struggles with relationship, family, schools, hormones, college applications, but primarily he feels isolated, alone, overlooked, misunderstood by family and peers. 
Evan wonders if this is his destiny, you know, to be ignored and an outcast for the rest of his life. Maybe like the woman at the well? Well, here are the lyrics from the hit song, Waving Through the Window. I wish I could play it for you. Copyrights don't allow, but just listen to the lyrics, and I'm not going to sing them, I promise. I've learned to slam on the brake before I even turn the key, before I make the mistake, before I lead with the worst of me. Give them no reason to stare, no slipping up if you slip away. So I've got nothing to share, I've got nothing to say. Step out, step out of the sun if you keep getting burned. Step out, step out of the sun because you've learned, because you've learned. On the outside, always looking in, will I ever be more than I've always been? Because I'm tap, tap, tapping on the glass. I'm waving through a window. I try to speak, but nobody can hear. So I wait around for an answer to appear while I'm watch, watch, watching people pass. I'm waving through a window. Oh, can anybody see? Is anybody waving back at me? Wow. And the implication is no. Do you feel the loneliness, the hopelessness, the lack of self-worth, the expectation that, that he's nobody in the measuring gazes of others? And that's that woman until Jesus, Right. For whatever reason, whether it was all the Samaritan woman's fault or not her fault or some combination of the two, this was who she was when Jesus finds her. That's where I was when Jesus found me. And this is the same thing for the people of Sychar. When he found them, and probably you too, today. So due to that all too brief gaze, they felt new dignity, value, worth, significance, maybe more than ever before in their lives. And even more remarkable, clearly they didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. She said that he knew everything about her, but the truth is that he not only knew her whole story, including all of her embarrassing uglies, whatever they are, her dark secrets that she hid, her shame, her bad choices, the self-loathing, the depression, he still loved her as she was. He still saw her with dignity. He honored her with his gaze Has Jesus' love made you feel special recently? Have you experienced that? If you've listened to the first three God's Love for the Unlovable shows, you've heard about a specifically designed tool that could most likely help. It has helped many people. Think of it as pointing your bone-thirsty midbrain to living water. Here it is again. Just sit back at your particular well and listen. Jesus followers, strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God actually loves you. He loves you with all of his heart, as much as the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. He can't love you any more or any less than he does right now. He loves you as you are, not as you should be or could be. You can't add to this love or take away from it. Now, I get it. It often feels like you've messed it up or need to do something so that God would like you better. Not so. Isn't that such great news? How do you experience it more now? Simple. Good news. There is something you can do and are invited to do. You can take daily baby steps to ask the spirit inside of you to make you know, experience, and feel just how much God loves you right now. Just ask. Ask again later today. Ask tomorrow. Make it a spiritual habit. It's so crazy simple. I mean, it almost seems too simple, but I'm begging you to just say it twice a day for 45 days and let me know the difference. Write it down. Let me know what people notice as a difference, right? Bill at gospel-app.com. Did you hear it? When I said it, what struck you, what jumped off the page, what bothered you, right? Make notes. 
And here's the question of the day. Did you feel a little bit of the love of Jesus for you? The, he told me everything about me stuff. That's the point of God's love for the unlovable show. This experience could begin to change Christianity and begin to change the world. I strongly recommend that you get groups of packets of the simple uncluttered gospel bookmarks from gospel-app.com website. You can read them aloud twice a day. Do it for 45 days and let me know. They're inexpensive. The packets, buy a bunch, hand them out to friends and families, church Bible studies, visitors to your church. And as always, I want to invite you to join us on our way to tell as many Christians as we can about God's love for the unlovable. How can you stand with us? First, pray to God about what you might be able and motivated to do. You probably have contacts or special skills or ideas, time. You might financially be able to give. Uh, We welcome that as well. And thank you ahead of time. Just do what God says. Check out the website, gospel-app.com. There's so many resources, many free. Drop me a line, bill at gospel-app.com, and let's talk. All of you can get the link to this new show to friends and church and family. Please do. Thanks ahead of time. Help us get the word out about God's love for the unlovable series. They will thank you. I have a new book about long overlooked and underappreciated women in the Old Testament. It should be published soon, I hope. Uh, first quarter, maybe. If you want to know when it gets published, drop me an email, bill at gospel-app.com. Also, let me know what you think about this particular show, and I would really appreciate that. If you've benefited from this podcast, please follow us. It means so much. Give us a positive review or comment at bill at gospel-app.com. We'll see you next time. Take heart, child of God. Hey there, it's Nicole Eunice from the How to Study the Bible podcast, and I'd love to invite you to join us as we weekly discover a passage of God's Word together. From beginning to end, from principles to practicals, we are here to make sure that God's Word is powerful and relevant to your life. If that sounds like something you're looking for, I would love to invite you to subscribe. You can go to lifeaudio.com and search How to Study the Bible, and we'll see you there.